All right, welcome back to Baseball Banter. I'm your host, Justin Ginelli. Uh, today, March the 30th, we are ever so close to opening day, which is next Thursday, April the 7th. And, you know, we're starting to see rosters take shape, and we're starting to see, you know, you know, since we last talked a couple of weeks ago, we saw some of the more prominent free agents uh, finally sign including Trevor Story signing with the Boston Red Sox uh, on a a six-year, $140 million deal. We saw Chris Bryant. It's, you know, it's funny. Like, two hours after we stopped recording, Chris Bryant signs with the Colorado Rockies. And I want to get into that one a little bit because I thought that was a little confusing because the Colorado Rockies are a team that really don't project to have much of a chance in the National League West over the next couple of years. I mean, you look at the talent on the San Diego Padres, you look at the talent on the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, you look at the San Francisco Giants who won 107 games a year ago. Um, I mean, there's three really good teams in that division. And you look at the Dodgers, they just signed uh, Freddie Freeman, they won the Freddie Freeman sweepstakes, so he departs from the Atlanta Braves, the world champion Atlanta Braves, and heads to his hometown L.A. Dodgers and makes the line, lineup that much deeper. I mean, the Dodgers lose Corey Seager earlier in the offseason. He goes to the Texas Rangers on a massive contract, and they replace him with Freddie Freeman. So, I mean, you get got a full year of Trey Turner at shortstop. You have... Max Muncy sliding over to second base. You know, Freeman at first first base. Um, but, you know, we'll get, we'll get more to more to the Dodgers a little bit later on because there's a couple of concerns I have with the Dodgers. But they're still going to be a real formidable team. And it makes for a curious decision and to whether or not, you know, what the true thinking was behind signing with the Rockies for Chris Bryant. So, but he gets a 7-year, $162 million deal. Joins uh, Charlie Blackman, uh Ryan McMahon who they, they just extended for another 6 years. Um a decent core of young Rockies, but a team, you know, that doesn't have much pitching. They lose John Gray to the Texas Rangers in the offseason. And, you know, a team that's firmly in fourth place in this division. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, you know, how the Rockies are going to truly stack up in the National League West. Um, We also saw Carlos Correa sign finally. He got a three-year, $102 million deal with the Minnesota Twins that also include uh, opt-outs after the first two years. So it essentially could be a one-year, $35 million deal and... We've seen in spring training some nice plays uh, in the field from Carlos Correa. I think he's going to be a very, very nice uh, piece added to the Twins. Now, whether or not the Twins are going anywhere this year or the next couple of years remains to be seen. Got some, you got some young pitchers. Um, you hope that you hope they turn out to be, uh, but they, you know, they they got rid of Mitch Garver. They, they traded uh, Josh Donaldson to the Yankees. 
They traded Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to the Yankees as well. You know, they got him earlier in the offseason. So, and that was really an interesting move because the Yankees took on the Josh Donaldson contract, which he's owed about $50 million over the next two years, and that opened up um, the payroll for the Twins to sign uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I'm sorry, not kind of like Carlos Correa. So it really was interesting. Now, I know the Yankees were and still are enamored with Anthony Volpe, and you got Oswaldo Peraza as well. Um, You know, they're enamored with their young shortstop prospects, so they were really not able to commit long term to any of the big time shortstops. And I thought they would. I really thought they'd make a play. For Corey Seager. Uh, Corey Seager obviously chose the Texas Rangers. They chose not to go after Marcus Semyon. They chose not to go after Javier Baez. Uh, And then we were waiting to see whether or not Carlos Correa or Trevor Story would end up in the Bronx. And that was not the case. So the Yankees are clearly betting on their younger players. And you're going to play... Isaiah Kinder Falefa, you're probably going to play, you hope hope you don't, but you might play Glaber Torres there some. So it'll be interesting to see how, what the plan is going forward in the infield for the New York Yankees. Now I'm also concerned that they didn't really add to their pitching either. And, you know, behind Garrett Cole, you're facing with a, you have, you're faced with a lot of question marks. Luis Severino hasn't been healthy over the last couple of years. He's dealing with general soreness right now. How much or, you know, what that's going to do to him going into the season, you know, remains to be seen. Um, you know, you also have Jamison Tyone and um, I'm blanking out on his name right now. Blanking out on his name. I'm totally blanking out on his name. You have you have guys in the Yankee rotation who just haven't proven to be healthy. Ty, and, you know, are you going to rely on Nestor Cortez at the back of the rotation? Um, I'm really I'm really not sure about that. So, all in all, a, a bit of a concern right now where the Yankees are at. Now, I still think they're going to be a really good team. I do. Um, you know, they got they still have a very solid lineup. I think Donaldson and Kiner Falefa add a good, um, a good presence, and you know, we'll see where they go from there. But you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, and they're a team that are totally in it to win it. I mean, it's just crazy the work that they have done in the off season, and the man I was forgetting was Jordan Montgomery. Uh, but Jordan Montgomery, another guy with, uh, you know, a, a rough injury history and a guy that's really hard to rely on. But the Toronto Blue Jays are t- truly in it to win it right now. They get uh, Matt Chapman most recently. So Matt Chapman's going to be in the infield. You have Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Just terrific. Uh, infielders, remember you signed George Springer last year. You have Teoscar Hernandez coming off a monster year in 2021. 
You know, and earlier in the offseason, this was pre-lockout, they signed Kevin Gosman, and they also signed post-lockout Yusei Kikuchi. So, I mean, you look at their rotation one through five of Hyunjin Ryu, Jose Barrios, who they got in a trade a couple of years ago, Kevin Gausman, Alec Manoa, and Yusei Kikuchi. I mean, it's a great, it's a really good starting five. And it's a really good starting five that's tough to face. You know, you're facing uh, two lefties, uh, Ryu and Kikuchi, and then... You have Kevin Gaussman, who's coming off a really stellar 2021 season uh, with the San Francisco Giants. And remember, he bet on himself last year. And same for Marcus Stroman. They bet on themselves last year by taking the qualifying offer and pitching really good seasons. And we saw Marcus Stroman go to the Chicago Cubs just prior to the lockout. And... You, you saw how betting on yourself with a one-year contract can really pay off. And it did for Gaussman and Marcus Stroman. So, I mean, but you look at the Toronto Blue Jays. The one thing you look at and say there's a bit of a concern is their bullpen. There's not somebody in the bullpen you could definitively say should be their closer. My guess is... Jordan Romano will handle the closing duties and they but you know it, it Charlie Montoyo the Jays manager could go either way. He could go in multiple directions here if he's not comfortable with Jordan Romano uh, as closer. I mean you have Julian Merriweather, Yimmy Garcia. So I mean there's multiple options in the Jays bullpen, but I if I have to say that's probably the biggest um the biggest issue for the Jays this season. Now, speaking of the Toronto Blue Jays, one of the biggest issues for other teams going into Toronto in 2022 is that you have to be vaccinated to enter the country of Canada. So, and to play in Toronto. So one of the things that we're going to be learning, and one of the things we kind of learned when Trevor Story was introduced by the Boston Red Sox, um, one of the reasons why the deal with Boston didn't go down sooner was because Trevor Story was unvaccinated. Now, Trevor Story says he has since gotten vaccinated and now is eligible to play in Toronto. And that's the only city of concern because last Thursday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams dropped the vaccine mandate that was preventing New York athletes in their home city to play in games. And, you know, we don't know officially who's unvaccinated, who's vaccinated on on both teams. But there was wide speculation that Aaron Judge and a couple of key members in the middle of the Yankees order would not be able to play at home and would not be able to travel to Toronto. Now, we won't know until May 2nd because May 2nd is the first time the Yankees go to Toronto and play the Toronto Blue Jays. So if somebody's unvaccinated, they do have time to get vaccinated or else they're not going to be able to play 10 games in Toronto. And same goes depending on the number of games uh, any American League team has to play going to Toronto. 
And I'm not sure what National League division gets the America League East this year, but I do know from looking at the Mets schedule, they're not playing the National League East. I mean, they're not playing the American League East. They're playing the American League West in the uh, Interleague Series this year. So, looking at the American League, and you're looking at the American League East, and on Saturday, John Stewart's going to join me, and we're going to do a full season preview of what you know, what we think, and where we think these teams are heading. You know, how good are the Mets going to be? How good are the Yankees going to be? How big of a threat are the are the Toronto Blue Jays and the Boston Red Sox? You know, we're going to kind of break down. You know who we think who we think are going to win the divisions. Who we think are going to make up the the three wild cards? Remember, seven teams, and this is this is official. No, I'm sorry, six teams, three divisions, three wild card. I'm thinking seven, like the NFL, because there's three wild card in the NFL, but there's also four divisions. Uh, Six teams in each league, the American and National League, make the playoffs this year. So you get three divisional winners, and you get three wild card. So. To break it down for you real quick, the number one seed, the team with the best record, automatically advances into the, into the division series. The second team will have to play the lowest uh, wild card. And then... Hold on. Actually, I think... No, actually, I think one and two, the, the top two teams, the top two teams in each league get a, buy, get a buy into the divisional round. And then it's three plays six, four plays five. So one wild card team will be a home team. The other will be the, the lowest division winner. So, you know, this is, this is for a team like the Mets. You have to make the playoffs now. You have an extra team. There's no excuses. The Mets are a team that are supposed to be, you know, one of the better National League teams, and they have to play like it this year. The Yankees, you know, we'll see where their pitching takes them. Their lineup should be a good lineup. They should be able to score more runs than they did last year. But, you know, they're in a tough division. They're in a division where they could be the fourth best team and then still make the playoffs. You know, I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to judge what Tampa Bay does every year, what Tampa Bay is going to do, and hard to project what they're going to be every year because they don't spend a lot of money in the offseason. We know that. They, you know, they don't put a ton into their payroll, but they're so damn good at you know, building through the farm system, developing these young players like a Randy Orozarena, like a Wander Franco who got a 12-year contract extension. Um, I think he signed that prior to the lockout. But, I mean, Wander Franco being taken care of for the foreseeable future. I mean, they do have a ton of young players that are really, really good. And they overperform every year thanks to the brilliant managing. And I know what you're going to say because we saw what happened in the World Series with Blake Snell in 2020 against the L.A. Dodgers. But for the most part, Kevin Cash is a terrific manager. There's a reason why he's always up there for American League Manager of the Year. It's just the facts. So, you know, interesting look 
in the in the American League, and you know we'll see. You know we will see where going forward, who is able to perform to expectations and who's not. You know are the are the San Francisco Giants again a team that won 107 games and the best record in baseball last year? Are they going to be able to sustain? You know what they did. They got a lot of really good years from a lot of veterans. Buster Posey retired in the off season. You know Evan Longoria is getting another year older. Kevin Gaussman left for the Toronto Blue Jays. Chris Bryant, who they had for a half a season, is now in Colorado. So who knows what? you know, what 2022 is going to bring. So let's just run through a couple of moves here. Uh, Chris Archer, uh, formerly of the Tampa Bay, of the Rays, Pirates. He went back to the Rays to finish last season. Uh, Signed a one-year contract. Now joins the Minnesota Twins. Interesting to see where he fits in there. Um, I don't know that he's a guy who's in the rotation. Um... But you know he could be one of those depth guys. I'm gonna let's skip that. Uh, Tommy Pham signed a one-year deal with the Cincinnati. He got a, I think nine or ten and a half million dollars. Signed a one-year deal, leaving the Padres, going to the Cincinnati Reds. Sergio Romo leaves the A's for the Mariners on a one-year deal. Um, Stephen Vogt, who was with Atlanta last year, returns to Oakland. Um, there's Steven Brault from the Pittsburgh, uh, Pirates to the Cubs. Trevor Story we mentioned. Zach Davies, uh, after 6-12 and 12 year last year, goes from the Cubs to the Diamondbacks. You know, the Diamondbacks look to... Um, they, they look to just get any kind of pitching. Ah, Nick Castellanos. This was one of the bigger moves. And the Phillies really had themselves an offseason post-lockout. I mean, they signed Kyle Schwarber to a four-year, $78 million deal. And then they go out and sign Nick Castellanos to a five-year, $100 million deal uh, on, the 20, on the 22nd of March. Last year, 309, 34 homers, 100 RBIs for the former Cincinnati Red. I mean, look, he's one of the more dangerous right-handed hitters in all of baseball. The only issue you run into, and, you know, fortunately, you know, with the universal DH, somebody could DH between Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber. Obviously, I mean, you're going to have Bryce Harper in the outfield, but because you put Schwarber, Castellanos, and Harper in the same outfield, and my goodness, that might be one of the worst defensive outfielders. The, the, the worst combination of outfielders. Um, I think in man in history, they are so bad defensively, and I think that that could be one of the biggest downfalls, because the and 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 the pitching as well. I mean, the Philadelphia Phillies are a team that, you know, they're going to hit a lot of home runs. They're going to score a lot of they're going to score a lot of runs, but their pitching behind Zach Wheeler is really questionable, because look, Aaron Nola struggled last year. You know, Aaron Nola did not have a good 2021 season. And if you're looking at, you know, going, if you're looking at going forward and projecting 
what he could be in 2022 and beyond, I think you're legitimately concerned. And, you know, and the fact that behind him, it's it's not all that great. I mean, who are you, who are you going to rely on? I mean, are you truly going to trust Ranger Suarez or Zach Eflin or Kyle Gibson? I mean, I think they're going to really have to mix and match at the at the back end of the rotation. And but that still makes it all the more important that Aaron Nola gets his you know what together after a disappointing season. I mean, they can't go they can't go into they can't go into 2022 and get the guy who was 9 and 9 last year with a 4.63 ERA in 180 innings. They just can't. A guy who gave up 26 home runs, which is one shy of his career high when he gave up 27 in 2019. He needs to turn it around and he needs to be the guy behind Zach Wheeler because Zach Wheeler is clearly the ace of this rotation. He's the guy who's going to have to carry the the middle of the rotation so that the Phillies are respectable. Now, the Phillies also signed Jerry's Familia. Um, they lose Hector Neri's. Not that that's really going to do much on either end. I mean, Jerry's Familia in that ballpark, I think, is nightmare written all over it. And Hector Neri's was a horrendous pitcher. But, I mean... The Phillies' bolt pitching is just atrocious. And I don't know if you could take them seriously until they get better pitching. All right, let's take a look at some of the other names. Jorge Soler got a three-year contract. He signed with the Miami Marlins, so he left the world champion uh, Atlanta Braves. Marlon Gonzalez on a minor league deal uh, signed with the Yankees. Um, Let's see. A lot of these are minor league deals. Matthew Boyd, that's a name, that's a name we were looking at a couple of years ago as a, as a hot commodity, as a prospect. Uh, he goes to San Francisco on a one-year deal, and I wonder if that's going to turn his career around because I feel like guys end up turning their careers around by going to San Francisco. And, you know, it's like 15 years ago when Dave Duncan was the pitching coach under Tony, Tony La Russa in uh, St. Louis. It's like... You were like, your career was on the ropes, and all of a sudden you go to St. Louis, and Dave Duncan automatically fixed you. And, like, you were back to being a serviceable uh, major league player. Um, again, we touched on the Kyle Schwarber deal. Um, this is another big one. Kenley Jansen, after over a decade with the Los Angeles Dodgers in, in the Dodger organization, signs a one-year contract. I think he got $16.5 million dollars. Um, and he goes to the Atlanta Braves. So between him and Will Smith, um, you really have a one-two punch at the back of the Atlanta bullpen. And you really um, are able to close out games definitely a lot better. And it'll be interesting to see what the Dodgers do. And, I, you know, I, again, I'll address the Dodgers in a little while. Because um, you know, there is clearly some concerns as to whether or not the Dodgers are able to fill some of their holes. Um, let's see. In other news, Tyler Anderson, one-year deal with the Dodgers. Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman. We talked about those guys. 
Saya Suzuki, the Japanese prospect, uh, signed with the Cubs on a five-year deal. And he's made a nice little impression in spring training. So that's a look at the hot stove tracker. The one name that's out there and the only one who was in the MLB Network's top 50 free agents going into the offseason that's still left unsigned is Michael Conforto. And for the first time in a couple of months, we get some news on Conforto. And apparently, according to his agent, Scott Boris, he injured his shoulder in defensive drills in January. So I guess he must have been working out on the side. If I'm not mistaken, I think he lives on the West Coast, so he might have been working out in, like, Arizona or something. But Michael Conforto was injured. He is now healthy. He's doing all types all types of drills again. But the one concern for teams is he's coming off such a bad season. And he's coming off a year in which he couldn't hit to save his life. And now he's... He has a draft pick attached to him until July 16th. He's the last player in, you know, in baseball history who is going to have a draft pick attached to their name with the, uh, with the qualifying offer. I mean, of course, the qualifying offer is going to continue going forward. But the reason why teams, sh- teams shy away from signing a a guy with a qualifying offer attached to him was because they didn't want to give up a draft pick. And the draft pick goes to the team that loses him, and no more will that happen. So Conforto's the last player with the qualifying offer that has a draft pick attached to him, and he's coming off a season in which he batted two thirty two, hit 14 homers, 55 RBIs. He played in 125 games. And, you know, I wouldn't say he's somebody who's injury-prone. I mean, I know he missed a ton of time last year. But prior to that, you know, he played 54 of 60 games, played 151, 153 games. So he's durable for the most part. But he's a very streaky hitter. He's an extremely streaky hitter. He's either one of the hottest hitters on the planet or or it looks like he's never played baseball in his life. I mean, that's just... The facts. I mean, he's made he made the All Star team in 2017, and what was one of his better years? Um, I would say 2019 was his best year when he hit 257 with 33 homers and 92 RBIs and scored 90 runs. But you know, Michael Conforto was a guy who was looking for the big money, and certainly back at the GM meetings uh, back in in early November. You know, Scott Boris was talking him up like he was the best free agent on the market. And, and of course, that is an agent's job. It's his job to talk up his client and to make sure he gets every last dollar. But, you know, here's a guy who reportedly turned down a $100 million contract. And the Mets were willing to pay it in upwards to $120 million, And now he can barely scrounge for a one-year deal at this point. So... It's really concerning if you're Michael Conforto because now I don't know if I'm going to get anything more than a one-year deal at this point. 
So it, it, going forward, it's going to it's going to end up working itself out because again, these picks are no longer going to be attached to attached to the player. So he's the last free agent with that pick and He's still out there. We'll wait and see if any news comes out um, about him signing. So, but I want to go into the National League now and look at the Los Angeles Dodgers because the Dodgers, again, losing Corey Seager in the offseason, they replaced him with Freddie Freeman. And this was kind of the thought when they traded for Max Scherzer and and got Trey Turner in the deal as well. Because they knew that it was going to take a lot to keep Corey Seager, and they couldn't, quite, they can't quite pay everybody. Despite looking at their payroll, it looks like their money is just endless, completely, completely endless. And but they made a decision, you know, between having Trey Turner on the roster, knowing that Gavin Lux is a perennial, very, you know, a very good player. And having Max Muncy, you looked at the infield already and said, okay, well, it's pretty crowded. Now you add Freddie Freeman to the mix. And Gavin Lux is once again relegated to the bench. If not, maybe AAA because they want to get him at bats. Um, you have Justin Turner at third, Trey Turner at short, Max Muncy at second, Freddie Freeman at first. Obviously, somebody's going to have to DH. And I wonder if early in the season, Gavin Lux gets a lot of playing time at second base because of the UCL injury that Max Muncy suffered at the end of last year. Max Muncy's playing in spring training. He has been playing second base, but I wonder if Dave Roberts is going to be a little cautious with him and have him DH more early on in the season. And you know that's something to watch. In the early months of the season, just to allow a little more healing time for Max Munson. Looking at their outfield, I mean, but you know, you have AJ Pollock, you have Chris Taylor. Um, probably going to get more of Chris Taylor in left field, but I would have him in center field. And the reason why I have him in center field, and of course, you have Mookie Betts in right. The reason why. Is because if you've watched any baseball, and I generally tend to not put any stock into spring training. I really don't. But watching Cody Bellinger is something that's extremely painful. Because Cody Bellinger is a guy who is a former MVP. Okay? He, is one, he was one of the top premier players in this game. And he fell to new levels last year in which he batted only 165 with 10 home runs and 36 RBIs and played just 95 games last year. So he had he suffered some injuries. He looked lost at the plate. His strikeouts were up. And I think if I saw this correctly, he has struck out 16 times in 21 at-bats this season. In in the spring. 
And here's a guy who won the 2019 MVP, the 2017 National League Rookie of the Year, and even got ninth place votes um, in the MVP voting that year. I mean, he hit 305 with 47 homers and 115 RBIs just three years ago. And we're not talking about a guy who's 35 years old on the down the downslope of his career. Cody Bellinger is 26 years old. What has happened to him? I really, you know, it's really hard to it's really hard to figure out what's happened to Cody Bellinger. And the biggest concern is that he's going into a contract season. This is his last year before he hits free agency. You tell me who is going to want Cody Bellinger at this stage, despite all the accolades. A two-time All-Star. We talked about MVP Rookie of the Year. He's won a gold glove. He was the National League uh, Championship Series MVP in 2020. I wonder if that shoulder injury was the downfall of his career. Because he struggled in the 2020 World Series. He couldn't hit to save his life last year. And it's even gotten worse this year. And I think the worst part about it for Cody Ballinger is he keeps changing his swing. He's tinkered with his swing three times in the past week. I mean, at some point, the Dodgers hitting coaches need to go to him and tell him that he's got to stick with a certain swing and a certain stance because it's not working. Whatever he's doing, it isn't working. And Cody Bellinger right now is flat out one of the worst players in Major League Baseball. He is. And it's sad to watch because he's a young kid. You expect him to be in the prime of his career, being a perennial MVP candidate year in and year out. But for whatever reason, something's not clicking. And right now, Cody Bellinger by no means should be guaranteed a starting spot. I, I have no issue putting A.J. Pollock in left field. I have no issue with Chris Taylor in center field. If you're telling me my outfield is Chris, as, uh, A.J. Pollock, Chris Taylor, and Mookie Betts, I said, yeah, that's a damn good outfield. A healthy Cody Bellinger makes it an even scarier outfield. But, A, I don't know how healthy he is, but he's had over a year to recover from that shoulder injury. And B, he looks completely lost at the plate. His swing is slow. His swing is large. Like, like you look, you look at you look at his strike zone, and there's just like this big hole in the middle because he swings through everything, and he's always trying to hit it 700 feet. Sometimes he gets. Sometimes when he does make contact, it, it goes over 450 and to dead center. But because that's the kind of power that Cody Bellinger has, but the consistency just is not there. So right now, by no means is Cody Bellinger guaranteed a spot, nor should he. And Dave Roberts has to manage that. Speaking of Dave Roberts, he got a three-year contract extension through the uh, 2020. Uh, five season, so he was on the last year of his deal, so he's 
locked into L.A. for the next four years. And, you know, Dave Roberts has done a terrific job. I mean, they've basically won the division every year, except for last year. And they had a franchise tie, 106 wins. It was tied for the most in franchise history. And they got to the National League Championship Series last year. They've, they've been to three World Series out of the past, past five years. So kudos to Dave Roberts and congratulations to him on that. But Dave Roberts also has some tough decisions here. And let's start, before we go to the starters, let's go to the bullpen real quick. Because we talked about before losing Kenley Jansen to the Atlanta Braves. For the first time in a long time, number 74 is not the guy lurking when it comes time to close out a ball game. And for the first time in Dave Roberts' managerial career, now I know he's made some decisions before to, to pull Jansen from the closer spot because of some struggles, but last year he pulled it back in and you know, reinvented himself, throwing more than the cutter. He developed a couple of other pitches further and became a more you know, two, three pitch closer, which made him a lot more effective. But for the first time, he can't look into that bullpen and say, I'm calling on 74. So who's going to take the reins of closer for the Los Angeles Dodgers? Joe Kelly as well left, I think, for the Chicago White Sox. So, is it going to be Blake Trinan? I mean, looking at, I mean, looking at the Dodgers bullpen. My guess would be that Blake Trinan right now has the inside track to being the closer. Um, I can't say for fact. I can't say for fact whether or not. You know, it would be a guy like David Price. I mean, you got Bruce Dargratterall, who you know, throws extremely hard. I don't know if you're going to want that for one inning. But you know, right now, all signs point to Blake Trinan taking over uh, as the Dodger closer. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting and it'll be weird to see. It, you know, talking about the Braves and the Dodgers... It'll be weird to see Kenley Jansen in the Brave uniform. Almost as weird as seeing Freddie Freeman in the Dodger uniform. A, you know, a couple of guys who expected to be stalwarts in their organization for their entire career. Now they're gone. Just like that. So, but and now, and also, and this is also on Andrew Friedman in the front office too. I think they've come up a little bit short with the pitching this year. They re-signed Clayton Kershaw. Okay, that's great. You have Walker Bueller. You have Julio Urias. Okay, cool. You have a top three that's very reliable, right? Bueller, you can count on to be good pretty much every time out. Julio Urias really came into his own last year after being a a real stalwart out of the bullpen in the 2020 postseason, he obviously recorded the final out of Game 6 in the 2020 World Series um, that gave the Dodgers their first title since 1988. And then you have Clayton Kershaw, who almost signed with the Texas Rangers in the offseason. But Clayton Kershaw back on a one-year deal, um, you know, that's a pretty good top three. 
after that, uh, help help me because Andrew Haney and Tony Gonsolin are not guys that inspire a great deal of confidence. Um, I'd be more confident in Tony Gonsolin uh, just from the sheer fact that he's grown within the organization and there are a lot of scouts and there's a lot of executives within the Dodger organization who are still very high on Tony Gonsolin. And they're hoping that this is the year that he finally puts it together. But Andrew Haney has been nothing but a nightmare the last couple of years. He's been nothing but a nightmare in spring training. In 11 innings, he's allowed like 10 earned runs. And if you're telling me he's your four starter, um, I think you're in a lot of trouble. So there's a lot of shortcomings. Now, looking at it, you know, again, they acquired Max Scherzer for the last half of the season last year, and he gave a big boost to that rotation because of his bulldog mentality, because of his leadership. You don't have that this year. Last year, you signed Trevor Bauer to that massive three-year deal. He's been on administrative leave for the past year after being investigated by the Pasadena Police Department. For some uh, some crazy things that we're not going to get into, but you know, one of the things and one of the things you have to hope for is the return of Dustin May. Now, right now, that can't be counted on, but because that's not a firm timetable. But Dustin May should be a big part of this rotation come summertime, and you know that can easily push Andrew Haney or Tony Gonsolin out of the rotation. But the Dodgers are definitely going to be in a position where they're going to need to add at the trade deadline because this is not a rotation. And, of course, you don't go through the entire season with the same five starters. You're going to need eight. You're going to need nine. You're going to need ten different starters. And you're going to pull guys from the minor leagues. Or come July 31st, you're going to be trading for somebody. So, you know, that's one of the things that you feel very confident in if you're a Dodger fan is that knowing that Andrew Friedman's going to know the right guy to get and put put together the right form of right pieces to build to build for a, another deep October run which we all expect the Dodgers to do. You know, we expect the Dodgers to be the best team in the National League. We expect them to be the best team in baseball. I mean, their lineup is absolutely stacked. We've went through it all. The only guys we didn't touch on were the two catchers, Will Smith and Austin Barnes. So, I mean, the Dodgers from 1 to 25 are a very, very talented roster. But let's not, but let's not poo-poo their deficiencies right now because there are clear deficiencies at the back end of their rotation and some of the questions in the bullpen. So... And one, you know, one final thing here before we get out of here. I did touch on it a little bit before, but Albert Pujols coming back for one final season with the St. Louis Cardinals. We know he signed that huge 10-year contract after the 2011 season with the LA Angels. And he finished the back half of last year with the uh, LA Dodgers. And... You know, here's a guy, you know, born in the Dominican Republic, but grew up as a young child in Missouri and grew up in the city of Independence, Missouri, went to, 
we, you know, went to school a little closer, to, a little closer to Kansas City, but he was a hometown hero for ten years. You know, coming up in two thousand one, winning National League Rookie of the Year. You know, to winning multiple MVPs, winning two World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was a fan favorite. He was a legend in St. Louis. And you're getting one final ride with Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, and Albert Pujols together again in St. Louis. Um, I think that's going to be must-watch baseball. And Albert Pujols right now sits at 679 home runs. Does his bat have enough left? You know, he's going to be the primary DH for the Cardinals. Does that bat have enough left in him to hit 21 home runs and get to that magic 700 mark? I really hope he, I really hope it does because Albert is one of the more likable guys in baseball. I mean, he's a guy who... You know, you know, the minute he retires, Cooperstown is going to call in five years when he gets to be on the ballot for the first time. And, you know, one of the great, great careers all time for a right-handed power hitter. And, you know, if you're a diehard baseball fan like me, appreciate Albert Pujols. Appreciate the final season of Albert Pujols. So... We're going to end it on that note here. We'll talk to you again Saturday. Again, that's going to be our big preview show, Saturday, April 2nd. Um, you know, you're going to, we're going to look at each division and you know, who, who are the favorites in each division? Um, who do we like, you know, getting to the postseason? And, you know, who, who's set up well to make, make damage and make noise and go deep into October? So all that is coming up this weekend. So for that, have a good night.